morning. Uh, just in case you didn't know, there's an unofficial rule that we have to wear a very similar kind of shirt <laughs> in order to be identified as staff. So if anybody else is wearing a shirt like this, that was a big mistake. People are going to come up to you and ask for prayer or something. So keep your jacket on. Right? Right. It just seems to happen all the time. I don't know how, but it does. Uh, as <laughs> um, as uh, Pastor Jonathan said, my name's Jason. I am the community life pastor at Central, and so I get to come up every once in a while. So if you've been here um, a little bit and don't know who I am, um, it's just good to know who it is that's yelling at you. So... I'm Jason. If you have anything, you can come and chat with me afterwards. Um, we're taking a little bit of a break from our Revelation study because it's Family Sunday, and we're looking at Psalm 127. This was something that um, Pastor Chris, the children of family pastor, um, kind of discerned would be a good uh, psalm to look at on, on a day like today. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to uh, Psalm chapter 127. Um, if not, it'll be on the screen behind us in a little bit here. As I was um, starting to think about this passage, there was two stories or two kind of events in my life that came to uh, the forefront. The first was well before I had children. I had just been married a little while. We had owned a condo, and I was getting restless. I'd grown up moving from house to house to house to house, and so the idea of living in one place for too long was not a great, I, a great thing. I just was starting to get a little bit restless. So I was looking around for something to buy, something to do, change things up. I found a piece of property, and then we could build a house on it, and I was already kind of well down the road of planning on what it would cost. Could we make it happen? I talked to, you know, my financial planner. I talked to a mortgage broker. I talked to my dad who does construction, and we figured out costs, and oh, maybe we could make this work. And so I was in my office thinking this through, and my lovely wife <clears throat> walked into the room, and she just said, <clears throat> what do you think God thinks about this? And it made me so angry. <laughs> Because I was so far down the path already to consider what it is that God would want now might cause me to have to throw this all out, right? And it, and it stirred in me a question. How do, how do I know what God wants for me in these mundane endeavors of life? But the, the second one was uh, the day that my daughter was born. Um, a day that uh, I will never forget because it was full of the deepest joy I will ever experience in my life. Something that I had anticipated for so incredibly long. Nine months seemed like forever. And I thought I was totally ready. But when I picked up the car seat and walked out the hospital doors, I thought, oh boy, I have no idea what I'm doing. Like, what, what am I supposed to do with this life? Oh, oh God, please, please help me in this. You know, you put them in the cradle, and, and, and the first time that you let them sleep in their room, you, like, close the door, and you spend the night at the door with your ear against it. Are they breathing? Like, the, temp the temptation in me to, to oh, like, sneak in, you know, like, sleep is so valuable in the first couple of months. Right, Justin? Justine? 
Except there's something in you that's like, but, but may, maybe they're not. And so you like do this like stealth mode thing and you try and put your ear right close to their face without waking them up to make sure that they're alive and you want to like micromanage everything about your children. And I was thinking about these two things as I was reading this psalm. And maybe as you read it, you'll start to think about the places where you're building without considering God, or you want to hold on and micromanage and be self-reliant instead of trust God. So would you read with me Psalm 127? Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the root womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. It's the word of the Lord. And maybe you noticed it, maybe you didn't. At the very beginning, of um, the, the passage, even before the first verse, it says that, that this is a song of ascent of Solomon. And that wasn't on the screen here. But it's an, it's, it's an interesting category of psalm. Typically, these psalms were sung as you were taking a pilgrimage toward Jerusalem three times a year. There were these massive feasts, particularly Passover, in where you, no matter how far away you were from Jerusalem, you would take your family, you would gather them together, and you would journey to celebrate with your people, the, the Jews, what God has done. You would bring your sacrifices to the altar at the temple in Jerusalem. And as you journeyed, from the valley below to the, to the city on the hill to Jerusalem, which sat above everything, and the Temple Mount, which was up there, as you ascended the hill, you would recite these psalms, a psalm of ascent. And you would look at the house of God, the temple of God, where he lived, and you would remind yourself, unless God built that, we build in vain. And as you pass through the city gates, unless God watches over this city, we watch over it in vain. And as you gather your children around you and you bring them in, maybe for the first time to the temple to experience the awe and presence of God and what it means to follow him, you are reminded that they are a blessing from God. And, and, and this act of worship becomes not only about what you sacrifice, but it's a, a reminder, space in which you start to 
think about what, what is it and how is it that God acts in our lives? What does he build and how do I participate? What am I anxious about and what do I need to give to him and what are the blessings that he has for me? So I think it's appropriate for us to look at this psalm in kind of three ways. First, as a reminder of our dependence on God. Second, as a reminder of the futility of anxious self-reliance. And finally, a reminder that God richly blesses. So first, a reminder of our dependence on God. Uh, Psalm 127, verse one and two, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It, it, I mean, this, this seems fa- fairly clear, right? Like, unless God is in it, unless God is building, unless God is watching, we, we participate, we do in vain. It's just useless for us to build or watch or secure. And, and the temptation might be to think, well, then I guess I can just let be and let God I, I, don't, I don't need to participate. I don't need to, to think about security or about building my home. I don't need to think about intentionally engaging in work. No, 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 it's just God. And I can, I can relax and fold my arms and kick back and everything will be good. But that's, that's really not what's being talked about here. See, the, the, the whole created order Genesis chapter 1 and 2, the the very beginnings of God's work is that of creating order in the world. And when then finally man comes around, the command to Adam isn't grab a margarita and find a beach. It's work it. Keep it. Subdue it. Have dominion over it. Build culture. God's God's created order from the very beginning is that we would be engaged in the world, that we would work and provide effort for it, and through that means, he would bring about beauty and utility and grandness. So when we read, unless the Lord builds the house, it doesn't absolve us of building our homes or working diligently at our jobs. It should beg the question, well, how then do we involve God? What does it look like to pursue a career or to build a family with God building it? Genesis chapter 11 gives us a really interesting case study on what it looks like to build something without God. For those of you who are familiar with your Bible, this is, this is the, the story of the Tower of Babel, where God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. <clears throat> and the people gathered together and said, 
you know, that's pretty good. But I think what's a better idea is if we build a city here and we make a name for ourselves here and we'll build ourselves a tower to God. We'll put the effort forward. We'll build the bricks. We'll get the mortar. We'll build the city, but it's for our name, our glory, our fame, and our safety. And so they start to build this city. God, in, 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 in the kind of words of Hebrews comes, comes to, or in the words of Hebrew, uh, comes to kind of investigate what's going on. He says, no, 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 no. This was not my intention. And so he confuses their language and spreads them around the world. As if to say, fine. You won't willingly do it? I'll show you how I can. Or in, in the words of Proverbs 19, 21, another reflection of Solomon Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. See, God calls us to build. He calls us to watch and secure, to raise our families, to invest in our children, to look forward to the future. But unless, unless God is in it, unless we are intentionally listening and obeying His will and His way and working within His means, it is in vain. This verse speaks more to how we approach building and watching and family than if we do. How we approach investing in our children and securing our future, building our family. So then I, I guess the question is, well, well then how? How is it that we could build a house and think about, okay, so I've got the logistics down, like I know that I can afford it and I know that the financing will come through and I know the logistics behind it. How then do we involve God in that? Or as I'm raising my children, how is it that I involve God? How, how is it that I align my will with God's will? How do I evaluate whether it is that God is building or I am building? How do I evaluate if I'm being like those who built the Tower of Babel? Or like King Solomon who built the temple under God's instruction? Well, I, I, I think we can do so by seeking to understand whether or not we are prioritizing the things of God in our lives. In, in other words, what, what are the filters that we use to, to make decisions on what is successful and what is true building? What is true investing in our children? So, 
Let's say for the family, for example, as a, as a mom or dad, as a grandparent, as an uncle, or, or even as one. We just, we just talked about it, that, that the church is actually the extended family of God and that God has brought us together, not, not simply in some superfluous way, some, some meaningless way, but that we would gather together and build into one another, that we each have strengths that we ought to bring. And so you here, those, those of you here who are retired or have grandchildren that live far away or, or those that are not yet parents or desire to, to be parents and, and have not had that blessing yet and struggle with that. God, God has brought you here to, to build in a particular way into the family. So how do we provide or, or decide? What, what does that look like? Well, I, I think that if we go to Scripture, Deuteronomy 6, 4-7, to we have a fairly clear, at least beginning, framework in which we can start to understand the how. How do we determine if God is building or we are building? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I commanded you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. See, the, the, the question is, what is it that we prioritize in our children's lives, in our own lives? I mean, when, when the alarm clock goes off, what is the first thing in our minds? I mean, okay, f- pause. First coffee, then whatever comes next, right? Right. Okay. At least that's what it is for me, because it's terrible otherwise. But, okay, okay, so, so the, al- the alarm clock goes off, and what is the, f- the first thing that we're thinking about? Is it the to-do list on the, on the house? Is it what's coming up at work? Is it the conversation that I have to have with God? Is it, is it the hockey practice that my kids need to go with? Is it, is it my boss and, and the demands that he has or, or the client that I'm, I'm trying to get? Is it, is it the financial struggle that I'm in? Or is it God's word? If we want to know if we are the, the how of building like God would build. Are, are, are we considering first, prioritizing what it is that God would speak to us? What he's commanded us to do. As parents, this is incredibly challenging because there are so many things that we want our children to accomplish in life, isn't there? I mean, we, we want them to succeed at school. We want them to read. We want them to have a social life. We want them to possibly like, have an active life and, 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 and participate in sports somewhere. And these are all fantastic things. But so often, so often, these things push out that which is of God. 
So often the hockey practice or the baseball practice or the soccer practice or the music lessons or the social activity or the vacation pushes out teaching our children diligently the things that God has commanded us. That on the forefront of our minds as we're walking down the street and as we're actually going to that baseball practice and something goes wrong when injustice is seen that the first thing out of our mouth is not judgment of the wrong or yelling at the ump or screaming at the other parent but seeking to show our children what God has taught us about injustice in the world. But why it is that sin enters the world. Why this injustice actually exists and how then to respond as God has responded in mercy and compassion, slow to anger and abounding in love. I want to know if you're building your family with God. What is the first thing you're seeking to teach your children? To throw a ball? To shoot a puck? Or to know God and His heart? This is about prioritizing what God has prioritized. There are so many things to do and accomplish to teach our children. What do we prioritize? What takes first priority? What about, what about work, though? I mean, it seems rather monumental to try and bring the things of God, what God has asked of us to do and, 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 and participate in, to, to be people of peace and, and mercy and, and not seeking financial gain or self-praise into a, a politicized world that is so about jockeying for power and position and fame and glory. How, how, how then do we participate in that? Well, Colossians 3, 23 to 24, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. You see, Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 12, is not conforming to the patterns of this world but transforming our minds to be that like Christ's. To not think about how do I get ahead, but how do I bring the light and life of Jesus into this place? That my, my, my boss has been placed there by God. That my... My working, my diligence, my effort is not to please him, but to please him who is above everything. It is, it is not to gain the trust and camaraderie of my coworkers, but to live in such a way that would honor Jesus. 
See, we, we can approach work as if we are building it, but that is in vain. We can play the game of political one-upmanship. We can make right allies so that we can gain the promotion, so that we can get the extra money, so that we can then buy that car and build that house and give our children what we think they need. But it is all in vain unless God is building it. So the question is, how are you building? How are you watching over your family? What lens do you look through for the security of your children, for the well-being of your career, for the decisions you make about whether you should upsize your house or downsize your house, whether you should buy a place in Arizona so that you can retire for six months out of the year? What, what What lens are you using to make that decision? That's going to determine whether you're building in vain or whether you are building a house that God is building. It's a reminder of our dependence on God that without Him we build in vain. Secondly, though, It's a reminder of the futility of anxious self-reliance. Verse verse 2. Well, actually, we'll start first in verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman says, stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest. How much I can relate to that verse. My approach to life is that if I just put more effort in, if I just do things the right way, if I just say the right things, if I just prepare enough, if I just continue to work at it, then it will work. And so I find myself setting my alarm earlier and earlier and earlier. There's just too many things to do in the day. Six o'clock isn't early enough. 5.30 is better. And then 5.30 isn't early enough. Five o'clock's better. And then, oh man, I can't get eight hours of sleep. I need only seven hours of sleep. Do you know how much there is? I mean, there's three kids to deal with. And so by the time I've done this with that and that with that and drove that person to that, then I have to spend some time with my wife and figure out how to make that relationship work and then, and then, and then, and then try and get enough sleep. And so, and so all of a sudden I find myself thinking, oh, you know what, I, I just, if I get the right strategy, let's read the l- right leadership book, let's, let's, do, let's do this you know, thing. If I exercise in the morning, then my mind is sharp and now I, can, n- n- now I can do these other things. So let's prioritize exercise and then I can start to think more clearly about this. And then if I eat healthy, then, I, then this is what I can do. And I start to take on all of the weight of the world. And I eat the bread of anxious toil. 
And that I eat, sleep, and think about every weight that there is in the world. Did I, did I do enough in preparing this sermon? You know what? Maybe I should just get up and read it one more time. Did, 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 I, did I teach my daughter well enough what to do in situations about bullying? Or, 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 or am I teaching her well enough what it means that, that, that God loves her and, and cares for her? Am I teaching my sons enough? Have I, have I done enough to teach them how to shoot a puck so that they can be skilled? How to write properly? Have I read enough with them? Am I doing enough to advance my career? I lay awake at night. And the thing, the thing is, is that all I come up against is my in, inadequacy. My inability to make sure my finances are good enough, or that my marriage is strong enough, or that my kids are mature enough, or that they're doing the right things, or that they're involved in the right activities, or that I have the right career in mind, or the right job disposition in mind, or that I had that right conversation with that person, and I lose sleep. My mind races. And the reality is, is that our, our culture is built in such a way that we have these devices that constantly remind us of all of the things that we are not doing. And God says in his word that that is all vanity, meaningless, a mist. It's futile to think in such a way, to think that somehow, if I just put enough effort forward, if I think clearly enough about this, that I will come up with an answer to global warming, and that it will be sufficient. Not to jump on a hobby horse, that's, that's not it at all. It's just simply to illustrate the fact that there are circumstances out there in which we are so ill-equipped to understand and it's so arrogant to think that I can come up with that solution. I was watching a documentary last night with my kids about, about the earth and how, how it protects itself from the sun and the incredible creative power that God has over it. And at the core of the earth... Because of its iron and the molten movement, it creates a magnetic field which actually deflects 90% of the radioactive radiation that would come from the sun and allows life to live here. To me, just speaks of the fact that I have zero control. Like none. So when I walk out of the hospital with my daughter and think, how is it that I am not able to do this? It's because I'm thinking, oh, I've got it all. Somehow I can do it. Should she stop breathing in the night, I am going to have a solution. 
God says, no, no, no. That, that's futile. That is vanity. It's like a mist that blows away. If you're so self-reliant, it will blow away and mean nothing. Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, verse 25, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Right. Right. So how, how can you tell if you're building like God would want you to build? How can you tell if you are invested? Because it's natural to worry and to desire and to like see our children grow. So how, how do you determine whether it's godly or not? Whether it's reliant on God's work and his building and his watching or our own? I, I think I think actually the litmus test, the way that you determine that is Sabbath. Rest. Like God commands in his word, in his in his commandments to his people is that they would work six days and rest one. And this is built in to our rhythm that from creation onwards, God worked for six and rested one. He commanded that we work for six and rest one. That means being able to shut off your mind, engage in something other than the pursuit of the world and the, the things that are around us. You want to know if, you're pers- if you are persisting in anxious toil and eating the bread of it? What does Sabbath look like? Can you shut off your phone without your hand shaking? Can you forget the email about your boss or your boss's email about work and the crisis at work and spend a day resting? Can you allow your heart to rest that God has your children? and enjoy what he has around. I think a litmus test is rest. It's not, it's not a mis- or it's, it's, it's not an accident that God made us sleep for one third of our life. Like you are unconscious for one third of it. You can do nothing about anything for 33% of the time. I think he did that to remind us that we're not in control. So my question is, what does rest look like for you? What does rest look like for you? But finally, this psalm as they're coming to worship is a reminder of God's rich blessing. 
Behold, children are an inheritance or heritage from the Lord. That means they come from God. They're not, they're not our doing. They're not our creation. They're his. They're a blessing. They're, they're actually something that he bestowed upon us. The fruit of the womb is a reward like arrows in the hands of a warrior and the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. Now, another translation, this, this sounds very much like, okay, like if you can have lots of children, then you're blessed. But this is, this is actually a, a little bit of a challenging translation in that it should be actually, blessed is the man whose quiver he, God, fills with them. Blessed is the man who... F- who fills his quiver with them, he shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. You see, culturally, this was, this was like a way in which you found success, right? In, in, in these kinds of cultures, you had to have children or to kind of take care of the family property. I mean, your retirement plan was your children. There was no old age facility to go to. You needed someone who was going to spoon feed you when you couldn't do that for yourself, you need someone to take care of you. But there was also the means in which you would find justice because the, the, this gate term, this, this gate space, is, is a place, like this is where judicial matters were decided. This is where the elders of the city would sit and you would come with your case against somebody and you needed witnesses. And your family was your most sure witness. That when your accuser came against you, your family would come and say, no, 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 that's not true about my father. And so this, the reality that these children were a blessing to them, as they were walking up to worship, they could see that, yes, look, look at God's work in my life. Look at what he's done in me. He, he, he's, he's built up something, a legacy for me. And this is, this is exactly how Genesis 11 ends. People come and they think, oh, you know what? We can build without God. And God disperses them. And at the very end of Genesis 11, it says, and Abraham was born. The man God would call out to build a people for himself. This is how God works a child is born to an Israelite woman, and Israel is saved in Moses. A barren woman seeks God, and Samuel is born. And man, you gotta, you got to wonder what Mary and Joseph were thinking, as in Luke chapter 2, they're coming up for Passover, and their 12-year-old son, who they know is a miracle of God, and they read this passage and they think, behold, children are an inheritance from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. And they're looking at their son, Jesus, and they're thinking, this is the manifestation of the blessing of God. And it's a reminder to us That as we come and worship, as we come and lay ourselves down before God and say, Lord, have me, that we actually have in Jesus a a brother, a Lord, who stands before the gate of heaven and advocates on our behalf against our accuser. 
so that we can have passage. That when, when, when the accuser says, yeah, 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 you don't know, he's a terrible father. Has, she has no idea what she's doing as a mother. Look at, look at all of the times that she's fallen down and made a mistake in her career and listened to the world and done things poorly. Look at him trying to gather all of this power and political posturing. Look at the times that he's failed. And you know, you know, you know that that voice has spoken in your life. Man, I, I, don't, I don't do this all the time. There are so many times that I look at my child and I think, man, what am I doing to make this happen? I look at my career and think, what am I doing to make this happen? But I shall not be put to shame because he speaks with my enemies at the gate. He says, that's mine. I have paid for it. Oh, that we would come to God with that kind of reality. That, man, I can trust God in what he says and how I should raise my children and I shouldn't listen to the world and I can trust God with my career and my finances because he has given me everything that I need in Jesus. And that my future is secure and my glory will be forever and I will stand in the presence of God himself and he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Why then can I not give my children and my career and my finances to him? See, this, this psalm reminds us that as we come to worship God, we have a God who gives us great blessings. And he wants to build and he wants to watch. Would you do that with him? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for what you have done. Thank you for the reminder, God, that you build and that you have not left us on our own, but that we have such a blessing and inheritance in Jesus that allows us to know our future is secure, that we can look at what you have done on the cross and what you have done in our lives and we can be certain that you have paid for it, that you have walked alongside us, that you will raise our children, that you will give us a future and a hope and that no matter what the road ahead looks like, no matter if it is full of children and challenges or whether it is childless, God, that, that you have a future and a hope and you have called us to that and that you are working all things for our good. God, would we hang on to that blessing and would we know that blessing, God, and would we then be people who seek to live and build according to your way, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.